Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. We're in John chapter 15, and the, the first verse that we're going to look at says this. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And Jesus is going to talk about persecution. He's going to talk about the relationship of, of his followers with the world. And hearing what Ben had to say about how life is in, for Christians in China really highlights what Jesus is going to talk about here. We're doing the, we're in John 15, which is the upper room discourse, 13, 14, and 15 of, of John where Jesus speaks to his disciples. It's a few hours before his crucifixion. I believe in John 15, he's probably walking with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're getting really, really close to the, uh, where Jesus is arrested. And what he's talking about here, persecution and the way the world treats Christians is gonna be very, very dramatically apparent in the lives of his disciples very soon. And I want you to notice really right off the bat how Jesus describes this relationship with the world. Jesus uses that term world here several times, and he's really just talking about a general understanding of people who aren't Christians. Uh, the world here, there's disciples, followers of Christ, and then those that aren't followers of Christ. And he uses the term world to describe those who don't follow him. And he doesn't say that the world is, is indifferent to Christians. They could take Christians or leave Christians. They don't really care about them one way or the other. He doesn't say that they just kind of don't like them. They, they kind of just disregard them. No, Jesus uses the term hatred. Hatred was a, is a powerful word in our culture today. It was a powerful word in Jesus's time as well. He uses one of the strongest words he could use to describe the way the world sees Christians as hatred. And this would have been really important in John's day when he wrote this gospel as well. He's writing, of course, about Jesus and what was going on right before the crucifixion. But John is also writing to, to believers throughout the, the Roman Empire 30 or 40 years after Jesus rose from the dead. As Christianity began to spread, it began to get popular in a way, it began to lead to a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition to Christians and Christianity. And so as the readers of John's gospel would see what Jesus talked about right before his crucifixion, it would have spoken to them. And as, as Ben shared just a few moments ago, it still speaks to us 2,000 years later. You see, the world's position towards Christianity hasn't changed. They still hate it. And so we're going to look at it today. We're going to understand the relationship of the world to Christianity as Jesus writes or he speaks to his disciples. We're going to look at chapter 15, verse 18, all the way through verse 4 of chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me this morning. Jesus says this to his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do, no, do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Lord, I thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you for what it teaches us. Lord, I pray that it is an encouragement to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus first takes time here to explain the world's hatred of Christianity. There's a few things that he points out in verses 18 through 25. And the first idea that really jumps out to us is that the world's hatred of Christianity is a given. It's not something that may or may not be the case. The world may or may not hate you. It's a given that that's the case. Jesus says, if they, hated, if they hate you, know that they hated me first. It's just a general statement. This is the, the, un, this is the relationship you're going to have. Christianity and unchristianity don't mix. He says there in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you. In other words, if you, you did what the world wanted you to do, they would be fine with you. There's other parts of the New Testament that emphasize this point. In James Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John, the writer of this gospel, in his first letter, he wrote something similar. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. John later on there in that gospel wrote about God and the world don't mix. Following God and following the world isn't possible. In Romans chapter 1, verse 29 through 32, the apostle Paul in summing up uh, how the world lives, how the world operates, he said this. He said, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give a hearty approval to those who practice them. So here he's talking about the world. He says, not only do they know these things are wrong, but that they enjoy doing them and they approve of other people that do them. These, these sinful things. It's very similar to what Jesus says in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And so Jesus is saying from the outset, understand this, discipleship being obedient to Christ, repenting of your sins, turning to Jesus Christ in faith will put you at odds with this world. There is no in-between. There is no, I can kind of get along in this world and also be a Christian at the same time. 
One of the things that I, I noticed in what Ben was talking about there in China, that a Muslim that becomes a follower of Jesus Christ from the very beginning, from the very outset of their faith journey with Christ, they're at odds with their family, they're at odds with their culture, with their way of life. Now we sometimes think of that with Islam and it's very obvious and straightforward, but the truth is it's the same for all of us. When we talk to our, our, our sons and daughters, we talk to our teenagers about following Jesus Christ, we need to emphasize from the outset, you will be at odds with the world. You will not fit in, you will not be comfortable. And if you are, well that should say something about your so-called faith. If you can just function in, in your job, you can function going to school, you can function in your marriage, the way you spend the money, the way you're entertained, and be completely at, at ease in this world, well, that should raise some questions in your life. Because Jesus talks about hatred here. He also says this about explaining the world's hatred. It's really about Jesus, not about us. Look at how many times he says in here about the hatred really is directed at him. The first verse, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. All these things, verse 21, they will do to you on account of my name. Jesus is emphasizing, listen, the persecution is, is about me, not you. In the Old Testament, there's a, an account of Samuel. Samuel was one of the, he was right before the Jews got their first king, before Israel had its first king in Saul. And Samuel was a judge. And he was, at that time, that's kind of how the, the nation was led by various judges. And Samuel was, was a, a revered man. He was a judge, but his sons weren't very good. And the people came to Samuel and said, we want a king. We want to be like all the nations around us. We want a king to rule us so we can fit in and he can fight our battles for us. And Samuel, as the leader, was, well, he was hurt. The Bible records this. It kind of hurt his feelings. He felt like he was being stabbed in the back that his leadership didn't measure up and they were rejecting him. And the Bible records that God came to Samuel and spoke to Samuel and said, listen, Samuel, it's not you. They're not rejecting you as their leader. Samuel's gonna die anyway and they would move on to the next judge. But what God was saying is, listen, Samuel, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting the theocracy I set up in the law. They don't wanna be led by me. They want some human being, some human king to lead them. They're rejecting me. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, as you go in this world, when the world persecutes you, when the world ridicules you and mocks you and treats you poorly, it's not really you, it's me. It's the fact that you're living out what I've commanded you to do, but it is me that they are persecuting. And he says something else in this passage here that probably if you're paying attention, you're looking at this at all, it makes you kind of question, maybe scratch your head a little bit. Verse 22, he says this, if I had not come, and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen both me and seen and hated both me and my father. Now at first glance, it almost looks as if Jesus is saying, listen, if I hadn't come here, people wouldn't be guilty of sin. If I hadn't revealed myself to them, they would be in, you know, innocent in their ignorance. But the Bible shows us that's not, that's not true. And in Romans, and I don't have time to really go into all the great detail of Romans, but Paul makes it perfectly clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one seeks God in and of themselves. We all have enough sin in ourselves to make us unrighteous before God. 
It's not our lack of knowing about Jesus that makes us guilty before God. It's our sin. But Jesus specifically here is talking about his witness, what he has said, and his appearance before these people. And the things that he has done, they, they're, they're no longer guilty. They're, they, they're without excuse. So what does he mean? What I think he means in this section is by rejecting Jesus, by the people that heard Jesus, that had watched what Jesus had done for three years, by rejecting him, they were actively saying they reject the Father. Remember what Jesus has said throughout this book. I've only come to do what the Father has told me to do. I'm only saying what the Father is telling me to say. He said to Philip just a few chapters ago, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you accept me, you accept the Father. That Jesus and the Father are, are in essence one and the, the same in the way people respond to them. And so Jesus is saying to these people, in essence, that these Jewish people, by rejecting me, by saying, by persecuting me, by hating me, you're saying you don't know the Father. You're saying you don't really know God. And by doing this, you, 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 do you really even know what you are saying, what you're doing? You're saying that you know more than God, you, that you, you are persecuting me. Let me give you a little example to try and help clear this up and why this is an important point for us to understand in our culture today. This is a little simple, but it, it helps illustrate it. When I, for many, many years, I told people I hated pineapple. I just didn't like pineapple. If I went somewhere and pineapple was the fruit to eat, I didn't want it. I said, I don't like pineapple. And if there was a fruit salad, I would eat all the fruit around it and I would leave the pineapple there. And I said, I don't eat pineapple. I don't like it. But here's the thing. I don't remember why I ever said I didn't like pineapple. One time, not too many years ago, I just said, I don't know why I say I don't like pineapple. I don't even remember trying it. So I decided to, to give it a shot. I had a bite of pineapple. And you know what? I really liked it. In fact, I, I eat pineapple all the time now. I go and buy you know, the actual pineapple, and I know how to cut it up and chop it up to get as much pineapple as you possibly can. I really, really enjoy it. And for years, though, I just told people I didn't like it. I just, for something, I don't know, maybe in my childhood, some experience or whatever, I just said I didn't like pineapple and I never tried it. And what Jesus is saying here, for many people that reject Jesus, that say, I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I don't think Christians are right. I think those that follow Christ are, are incorrect. They are saying they know enough to be able to reject him. That they don't really believe Jesus is the Son of God. They don't really believe what he said is from God the Father. They don't really believe it is, is well, he is God. It's a very dangerous place to be because in the United States, the vast majority of people, you, you can't really persecute Christians without saying, I know enough about Christianity to say, I think it's wrong and it's okay for me to persecute them. That's why Jesus said here in, in the final part of this opening section in verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now, that those that are persecuting Jesus, that they're rejecting Jesus, they're saying they know enough to say, I'm right in doing this. I'm right in persecuting Christians. I'm godly in doing this. When Jesus writes the, or says this in verse 25, it must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. He's quoting David in the book of Psalms. And there's a couple of different places where David says something like this, because in reality, David, well, he had a lot of times where he was treated poorly for no reason. David is what is considered to be a type of Christ. He's a, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament in a number of different ways. And in one way is the way he was treated by Saul. Saul was the first king, and Saul persecuted David all the time. He tried to have David killed on numerous occasions. He hunted David down. 
He turned David's best friend, Saul's own son Jonathan, uh, tried to turn him against David. And David never did a thing to justify Saul in his actions. In fact, David had a chance at one point in his life to kill Saul. Saul had been trying to kill him for, for years, and David had a chance to, to take out Saul, and he wouldn't do it. All he would do is cut off a little piece of, of Saul's robe, and he felt so bad about that, he apologized. And David wrote one of the Psalms, in essence, to talk about that. I've been hated for no reason. And the reality is, as Jesus talks about the hatred of the world for him, Jesus is saying, there is no justifiable reason to hate me. Have you ever think about that as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ? That a lot of people who speak ill of Christians or Christianity or, or, or Jesus Christ himself, they have absolutely no reason to, to say it. Jesus never has done anything wrong. He's never sinned. He never hurt them in any way. In fact, Jesus offers nothing but good things for them. He died on the cross for their sins. He provides a way for them to be right with God. He shows them how to live their life. He's been nothing but sacrificial for people. There's nothing in the life or the presence of Jesus that somebody can point to and be justified in saying, this is why I hate Jesus or this is why I persecute his followers. There's nothing. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, they hated me. And when you're obedient to me, when you're doing what I've called you to do, now, he's not saying when people are mean to you as Christians because you're sinning or you're doing something, you know, you're a jerk to somebody. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about when you are obeying me, you're doing what I've called you to do and they hate you for it. Well, there's no justifiable reason for that. But they hate you because they love their sin more. Throughout history, that's, that's really the reason of the hatred of the world is the world loves their sin. The world wants to, to indulge what they want to do. And, and Jesus, by saying, listen, you're a sinner. You need to repent of your sin. You need to put your faith in me. Well, they want to reject that. And so Jesus said, be prepared. They're going to hate you for it. And so he explains the world's hatred. It's really they hate Jesus and by extension us when we obey Jesus. But he also explains the disciples' responsibility in, in, in the last two verses of this chapter, their responsibility to the world. It says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus reintroduces, in a way, the, the Holy Spirit here. He says, the Helper. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us back in, in chapter 14, he promised the Holy Spirit. And really, in the middle of this chapter, what we're going to look at next week, we get a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in this world and in our lives. So I'm not going to talk about it at, at a great length here, other than to just talk about what Jesus introduces us uh, to us here about the Holy Spirit, that he will bear witness about me. That in this world... More so probably than, than you or I as, as, as sharing with people about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus. This world will always have a witness about Christ because the Holy Spirit is here convicting people of their sins. And wait, like I said, we'll talk more about this next week. But I believe Jesus introduces this here in verse 26 to set up what he says in verse 27 about his disciples. He says, And you also were, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning that we work, in essence, alongside the Holy Spirit, bearing witness about Jesus Christ, telling people about Jesus. Jesus is explaining to his disciples, the world is going to hate you primarily because you testify about me. 
Now this is an extremely important point for us in our evangelistic efforts as Christians because if we're not careful, we can mistake being good moral people with being evangelistic. And that's not the case. Some of you have heard there's, there's an old saying. Sometimes it's, a, it's equated with a lot of different people. And I don't know if any one of them are the originators of this saying, but you probably have heard something similar to this. It says, always preach the gospel. Sometimes use words. Now, normally I would ask people to raise their hands if they've ever heard this saying before, but it doesn't really work in this method. But I'm sure a lot of you have heard something similar to that. Preach the gospel. Sometimes use words. Now, is that a good saying? Is that an accurate saying? And the answer is absolutely not. Not at all. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that we shouldn't live good lives or moral lives or lives that represent the way Jesus would want us to live. But the world doesn't really care about that. There are lots of people in this world that don't claim to be followers of Jesus Christ that live pretty good lives. They're nice people. They're generous people. They'll, they'll, they'll donate a lot of their time and money and energy and efforts to, to good causes. By and large, the world doesn't really mind that. And sometimes the world celebrates some of those things. All of us know some people that make no claim to Jesus Christ who, who are really genuinely nice, good people. But what Jesus says here, notice what he says to his disciples, you will bear witness. Bear witness means testify. You will demonstrate to this world who I am. Now, Jesus Christ came to this world, lived a sinless life, and claimed to be the Son of God. And he called all people to repent. Repent means to change, making themselves the Lord of their life, repent of that sin, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their only hope for salvation. When we proclaim that message, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, this is where persecution and hatred rear their ugly heads. You see, if we think as Christians, all I have to do is I can profess faith in Jesus Christ and then begin to quietly live my life as a really nice, good person, and I'm being fully obedient to the call of Jesus Christ in my life, we've missed it. Yes, we obey, we are, are, are moral, we follow the precepts of the Bible, but including with that is telling the people that we know, people that we don't know, being witnesses in this world of Jesus Christ's call to repentance and faith in Him. And so Jesus reminds his disciples, listen, to be persecuted for my name's sake. As he said uh, earlier in verse, uh, verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. He's saying it's on account of the fact that you tell people the truth about who I am. And so I encourage you this morning as you are, are living your Christian walk, are you sharing Jesus Christ with people? Not just being good, not just being moral, but sharing Christ. The final point that Jesus makes in this section is in the first part of chapter 16. Now, sometimes it's rare that I do this, but sometimes my sermons, you know, start in one chapter and end in the other. And I occasionally like to share that the chapter divisions in the Bible have no bearing at all on necessarily what the Bible says. They were put in there many years after the Bible was written, and I believe that the break here in chapter 16 makes really no sense at all because Jesus is still talking about persecution and the world's hatred. Look what he says in verse 1. I have said all these things. What does he mean, I've said all these things? Everything he's talked about, about the world's hatred. And he gives the reason. This is the, he's explaining the Savior's reason for, the, for talking about the world's hatred. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
That term falling away, you see that it's, it's used a lot in the New Testament to describe people that stumble at the message of the gospel, they, they trip up. It's really a word that it, it means the bait in a trap. I mean, if you ever go fishing and you put uh, something on the, the, the hook, you throw it in the water to get the fish to come to bite the hook, that, that bait, whether it's a worm or whatever, that's, that's there to, to cause the fish to stumble, so to speak, to get something that looks good, but it's not really there. It trips it up. And Jesus said, he's, he, I'm telling you all these things about the world's hatred of you to keep you from falling away, to keep you from stumbling. Now, what's important, and, and, and to put this into context, remember what's just about to happen with the disciples. Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Right after this, he's arrested. And what happens to his disciples? Do they faithfully stay with them? Do they sit there and put up a, a, a grand fight to try and protect him? No, within a few minutes, maybe within a minute or two of his arrest, they begin to scatter. We always focus on poor Peter because Peter denies Jesus three times and that's, that's pretty bad. But what about the rest? John, the writer of this gospel, he does kind of hang around a little bit, but the rest of them, we don't know what happens to them. They just disappear. The first sign of significant persecution and Jesus not being in their midst, they tuck tail and run. Now, one of the things I will tell you is when I read that and I understand that about the disciples, it's a little bit of an encouragement to me when I fail. When I, I recognize persecution in my life or some people talking to me about my faith and I feel that little twinge of embarrassment or whatever and I maybe don't speak up the way I should and, you know, an hour later I feel really bad about it. I remember the disciples did something similar. But it wasn't the final note in their lives. That later on, the disciples, especially Peter, they were made well with Christ again and he gave them the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they did. And all of them, Everyone that heard his words here, everyone that turned their back on Christ when he was arrested, went on to die painful deaths. And there's lots of different legends that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of, of dying in the manner that Jesus did. And John was exiled to Patmos. And it was a, a, a difficult lives. They understood the persecution that Jesus talks about here. Notice what he says in verses 2 and 3. He said, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. If you remember back in chapter 9 of John, there was the blind man who got his sight back, and his parents didn't even stand up for him. When his parents were questioned, they said, He's of age, ask him, because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. It was much more than getting kicked out of church. You know, if you, you were told you couldn't go to this church in our culture, you'd just say, well, I just go to the church down the street. In Jesus' day, to be kicked out of the synagogue was basically to be removed from society. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're a follower of me, be ready, babe. The, the, the world hates you so much, you're, you're not going to have power, authority. You're going to be removed from a lot of things. It's going to get so bad that some people may think, I'm doing a great service to God by killing you. Now, we may not have risen to that level in the United States, but as, as Ben shared there in China and other parts of the world, there's lots of people that think they're doing a great service by persecuting up to and including killing Christians. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to know this is coming. This is how you need to understand your life as a believer. I, I, I fear sometimes in the United States of America that we give off this impression that coming to Christ means your life's going to get easier within this world. Lots of good things may happen to you, and, and then you may get 
have a decent life. But as you approach people in this world, there's going to be a genuine antagonism. You're never going to really feel comfortable, or at least you shouldn't really feel comfortable in this world. That's a dangerous sign. Years ago, I read a book. It was about the United States of America leading up to the Revolutionary War in, 17, in the 1770s. And as it was getting closer and closer to the revolution, the United States at the time, it was colonies under the rule of, of England. And there were two types of people in the colonies at that time. There were the loyalists. And the loyalists were people that were loyal to the crown. They were loyal to England. They saw themselves as citizens of England and they did what the, the king told them to do. And then there were the separatists or the revolutionaries. There were those that were getting tired of, of the colonies being under the rule of the king and they wanted a, re a revolution. They wanted to distance and have their independence from the king. And so leading up to the Revolutionary War, there were these two groups of people. And as I was reading this book, it was really focused on the revolutionaries, those that wanted to, you know, start a fight and break free from the crown. And when somebody joined the, the, the side of the revolution, everything changed in their life. They were told right from the get-go, you have to be careful how you talk in public because you can get arrested for talking about a revolution. You could get arrested for treason or sedition for, for doing this. They would have gatherings in secret to talk about the, their plans of, of fomenting a revolution. They taught each other how to talk to those who were still loyalists about trying to convince them to come over to their side. But you had to be really careful about how you did it. And it was this long little, it was this book that just kind of talked about what it was like to basically live in enemy territory. And the reality is I read through that book, it made me think of my life as a Christian. It made me think of my life as a follower of Jesus Christ and recognizing while I'm here on earth, I'm really living in enemy territory. That if I'm honest, I need to wake up every day and recognize I have to be careful how I talk. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't share when I need to share and, and talk to people about Jesus Christ just like the revolutionaries tried to convince the loyalists to come to their side. I share the truth of the Word of God, but I need to be prepared to know what it says to be not look ignorant when I share the gospel. I need to be prepared that some people are going to challenge the way I live my life and, and know that that's okay. Jesus warned me. They're going to hate the way I live my life if I'm living in accurately the way Jesus called me to do it. I need to learn to live each and every day aware of what's coming. That's why Jesus said in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. One of the biggest dangers we have in the United States of America is the ability to try and, and, and think it's... it's well, this isn't really enemy territory. The United States is a Christian nation. By and large, it's full of Christian people, and we can just kind of go along with the way our culture lives, and that's the Christian way to live. That's just a lie. That's just false. So much of our culture and the way people live their lives and conduct themselves is diametrically opposed to the Word of God. It doesn't demonstrate a life of repentance. It doesn't demonstrate what the, the Bible teaches us at all. And we need to recognize that we will be at odds with our culture. We will be at odds with many people in this world, and we need to prepare ourselves for that. And so my application to you as believers here today is quite simply this. Recognize what Jesus is telling his disciples here. This is one of the last thing he says before he's arrested. He's letting them know, listen, it's going to be a difficult road, but I've given you a command, bear witness about me. For those of you listening to me this morning that aren't followers of Jesus Christ, don't kid yourself 
don't think, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I think Jesus is all right or whatever, and I, I just want to get along in this world. If you are comfortable and at ease in every aspect of this world, that should scare you. That should scare you that you're really part of this world and not part of Jesus Christ. And you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn to Him. That's my application for us today. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for what it teaches us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless.